Get ready. Have you ever been to a party that lasted a whole week? How about a sermon that went on all day? Well, that's what happened to God's people after they came home from being slaves. They had forgotten how God wanted them to live or who they were supposed to be. So Ezra and Nehemiah read them the rules God had given Moses. But something odd happened. The more the sermon went on, the sadder they all got. Why? Was the sermon that boring? <laughs> no, not really. It was strange, you see. As Ezra read the book of rules, it worked like a mirror. It showed them what they were like, and they didn't like what they saw. They saw that they had not been living the way they should. They saw that they were cruel and selfish. We've blown it, they cried. Now God will punish us. They thought they knew what God was going to do, but they didn't. Of course, they might have picked up a clue from Ezra's name, which means help is here, and an even stronger one from Nehemiah's name, because his name means God wipes away our tears. And that, as you'll see, is just exactly what God was getting ready to do. Ezra looked at God's children. Great hot tears were welling up in their eyes and streaming down their cheeks. He stopped his sermon mid-sentence and shut the book. We're having a party, he shouted. And so that's just what they did all week long. God wants us to be happy, Ezra said. All day they listened to stories about the wonderful things God had done for his people. How he made the world, how he gave a special promise to Abraham, how he rescued them from slavery, how he spoke to Moses and showed them how to live, how he brought them to a special land. How he rescued them, no matter what, time after time, over and over again because of his never-stopping, never-giving-up, unbreaking, always and forever love. They remembered how God had always, all through the years, been loving his children, keeping his promise to Abraham, taking care of them, forgiving them, even when they disobeyed, even when they ran away from him, even when they thought they didn't need him. Then God told his children, something more. I can't stop loving you. You are my heart's treasure. But I lost you. Now I am coming back for you. I am like the sun that gently shines on you, chasing away darkness and fear and death. You'll be so happy. You'll be like little calves running free in an open field. I am going to send my messenger, the promised one, the one you've been waiting for, the rescuer. He is coming, so get ready. It had taken centuries for God's people to be ready, but now the time had almost come for the best part of God's plan. 
God himself was going to come, not to punish his people, but to rescue them. God was getting ready to wipe away every tear from every eye, and the true party was just about to begin. Well, good morning, everyone. Today we're going to begin uh, a new series. Uh, the beginning to end the story of, uh, of Jesus. Typically here we'll uh, go through a, a book of the Bible. It's called Expository Teaching. And so we've just finished Romans a while back. We did Isaiah and different things. But uh, eight years ago, we did a series uh, based on the book by Sally Lloyd-Jones, the Jesus Story book, and went through the Old Testament part. And so starting today, for the next several months, we're going to do that New Testament part, the story of Jesus, how every story whispers his name. And there'll be stories from the gospel accounts that we are going to be uh, focusing on. It's a great book, by the way. If you don't have it, uh, especially for families or grandparents, uh, get a copy. Uh, order it on Amazon and, and, and uh, work your way through it. When we did this eight years ago, I can remember kids sitting out here actually bringing the Jesus Story Bible with them, and they were following along. And, and uh, So anyway, that's, uh, that's what we're going to focus on. But this morning, I want to give a little background information and set this up. Um, have you ever seen the um, Aurora Borealis, the Northern Lights? Uh, the first time I saw this, actually probably the only time I saw that, I was in high school. I was coming back one night. I don't who knows what I was doing, but I was coming back to driving to our farm, and there to the north were these dazzling, fascinating. In fact, it was eerie. eerie. It was a, it was spellbinding lights up in the north, the Northern Lights. Uh, produced by uh, particles of the sun that are emitted and um, travel like they say 45, some up to 45 million miles per hour, slamming into our Earth's outer uh, atmosphere. Our magnetic um, uh, protection uh, actually directs those particles to the poles. And uh, you can, at certain times, you can see these particles um, uh, dancing in the night sky. Uh, it's a, a, a fantastic phenomenon um, that scientists are still trying to figure out. They're still, I, I read something where just this past June, scientists found out how or why those particles can travel so fast from the sun, 45 million miles an hour, and they have discovered these things. Um, reminds me of Psalm 19. It says that uh, the, the earth is declaring the glory of God. Uh, day and night, it pours forth speech. It is just uh, a little bit of the glory of the character of the Creator and um, brings us to wonder about, uh, about His greatness. The concept of the, of the glory of God is a fascinating concept. We've talked about it here before at various times, but you go in the Old Testament and you... you you see this idea of the glory of God. And the word glory, the Hebrew word for glory, is a, a word that literally has the idea of, of weight or heaviness, weightiness, heaviness. You're carrying a heavy load, a heavy, that word heavy 
is the same word for glory. So when it's brought over to describe God or, or a, say, a, a spiritual sense, the idea is what is it that makes God heavy? What, what gives God weight? What's the weightiness of God? Um, we actually use that idea in our day and age today when we talk about, um, you know, that, that name carries a lot of weight, um, the, the, the heaviness, the weightiness, the glory of someone. Well, when it's referred to God, it, it, it's the idea of the summation of His attributes. It, it's all that goes into making God God. What makes God God? That's His glory. That's the weightiness. What makes God heavy? It's His, his glory. It's the uh, sum total of all that He is, of all that He's done, the character of God. It's God's creative power that contributes to His glory. It's God's omniscience. It's God's sovereign um, uh, love and kindness and grace. All those attributes are part of the glory of God. So, in the Old Testament, the psalmist in Psalm 62, when it says, shout joyfully to God all the earth, sing the glory of His name. We've done that already this morning. Sing the glory of what, what is He calling us to do? Sing the weightiness of God. Sing about His character. Proclaim His attributes, who He is, what He has done. Or in Psalm 96, 1 through 4, it says, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless His name. Proclaim good tidings of His salvation from day to day and tell of His glory among the nations, His wonderful deeds among all the peoples. For great is the Lord, greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all God, gods. It's, it's, it's a call to proclaim the heaviness, the weightiness of God. Tell people about who he is, his character, the sum, summation of his, um, of his nature. Now, the glory of God was also uh, something that was always um, manifested, experienced. So it's not just this inherent character of God, his glory, but it was his character on display. It was what was experienced. It could be um, seen. It could be um, experienced. It, it, it could show up and be manifested. And whenever it did, it had a profound impact on people's lives. The people of Israel uh, were the people that God specifically said, I'm going to give you um, my glory. I'm going to show you my glory. Uh, so Moses goes up uh, to Mount Sinai and he gets the Ten Commandments, right? And the people there on the, on the, uh, the bottom of the mountain waiting for Moses to come back. And in Exodus chapter 24, we read, Moses went up to the mountain, the cloud covered the mountain, and the glory of the Lord rested on Mount Sinai. The cloud covered it for six days. On the seventh day, he called to Moses from the midst of the cloud. Now verse 17 says, And to the eyes of the sons of Israel, the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a consuming fire, on the mountaintop. They experienced it. They witnessed it. It was, you ask somebody, what was the glory of God like? And they said, man, it was like a, it was like a consuming fire. God's attributes were on display, as it were. 
Moses was fascinated with the glory of God. He wanted to see more of it. In, in um, Exodus 33, verse 18, he asks God, show me your glory. I, I want to I get the whole, you know, the, the full sense of this thing. And God says, no, you can't do that. No one does that and lives. You can't see my glory and live. But I'll tell you what I'll do. We've talked about this before. He hides him in the cleft of the rock, remember, and the glory passes. And he said, you can get the, the backside of my glory. And uh, that's what happened. And it says in Exodus 34, verse 8, when that glory passed, Moses made haste and bowed low and worshiped. I mean, he got on his face before just a, a little glimmer of the glory of God. Later in that chapter, chapter 34, it says that Moses came down from the mountain and remember what his face looked like? It was shining, right? The glory of God shone. And he had to put a veil over this face. Uh, it, was, it was a brilliant shining. Plus, when it started to fade, he didn't want people to see that it was fading. But he put, had to put a, a covering on his face. Uh, why did his face shine? Well, again, in the Old Testament, the presence of God had these visible manifestations. And that's, his face was shining. He'd come face to face with the glory of God. You keep reading in the book of Exodus, um, God says, I'm going to meet with you. Uh, we're, we're going to make this arrangement. And he had them build a tabernacle. Remember the tabernacle? Uh, this tent of meeting. And, and uh, he had three tribes of Israel on the east and three tribes on the west and three tribes on the north and three tribes on the south. They all centered around the tabernacle. And in Exodus chapter 40, verse 34, we read this. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle and Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. In fact, from that day on, there was one man, the high priest, who could go into that inner sanctum and be brought face to face with the glory of God once a year on Yom Kippur, Day of Atonement. That's it. Moses couldn't even enter it. But the point is that the, the people of Israel were the uniquely blessed people of all the nations on the face of the earth, they got the glory of God. Uh, Paul talked about this in Romans chapter 9 when he gives a list of all the blessings of being a Jew, being an Israeli. You've got the covenants, you've got this, you've got the prophet, you've got all this stuff, and he says, and you've got the glory. You had the glory. The presence of God, the sum total of his attributes there on display and it left people undone when they had any uh, concept of, of the glory of God pass their way. Um, the people said a number of years later when Solomon was building the temple, uh, they saw the glory of God and they also were undone in praise of the glory of God. Second Chronicles Chapter 7 says this, Now when Solomon had finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the house. So the old tabernacle was replaced by this beautiful Solomonic temple, and the glory of God came and dwelt there. And the priests could not enter into the house of the Lord because of the glory of the Lord that filled the Lord's house. And then it says, and all the sons of Israel, seeing the fire come down and the glory of the Lord 
upon the house. They bowed down on the pavement with their faces to the ground, and they worshiped and gave praise to the Lord. And they said, truly he's good, truly his loving kindness is everlasting. They come face to face with the weightiness of God in this, this Shekinah glory, this, this visible display of the character of God. And they fell on their faces and they worshiped God. An encounter with the living God. It profoundly impacted people. If you let it. And of course, as time went on, whether it became old hat or the fact that they really never could enter the temple, it was only the high priest once a year that could see it. You know, life gets busy, right? <clears throat> you get occupied with other things. And over time, instead of being enamored with the glory of God, they actually got enamored with the glory of false gods. And they departed from worshiping the glorious creator, Jehovah God. Turn with me just for a brief moment to the prophet Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 10. Ezekiel chapter 10, some would say is this section, chapter 10, chapter 11, is one of the saddest chapters in the Bible. Ezekiel chapter 10, let me start reading with verse 1. Ezekiel's seen this vision. Remember the old song, a wheel in the wheel way up in the middle of the air? He was seeing a vision of wheels spinning. Verse 1, then I looked and behold in the expanse that was over the heads of the cherubim, something like, like a sapphire stone in appearance resembling a throne and it appeared above them. And he spoke to the man clothed in linen, and he said, Enter between the whirling wheels under the cherubim and fill your hands with coals of fire from between the cherubim. Scatter them over the city, the city of Jerusalem. And he entered in my sight. Verse 3 says, Now the cherubim were standing on the right side of the temple when the man entered. And the cloud filled the inner court. And then, verse 4, Then the glory of the Lord went up from the cherub to the threshold of the temple. And the temple was filled with a cloud and the court was filled with the brightness of the glory of the Lord. Moreover, the sound of the wings of the cherubim was heard as far as the outer court like the voice of God Almighty when he speaks. What's happening? The glory of God that would be there in that inner sanctum, that holy of holies, that place above the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant that only the high priest could see once a year. It was moving. It departed. It was now at the threshold of the temple. Jump over to verse 18. <clears throat> then the glory of the Lord departed from the threshold of the temple and stood over the cherubim. And when the cherubim departed, they lifted their wings and they rose up from the earth in my sight with the wheels beside them. And they stood still at the entrance of the east gate of the Lord's house. And the glory of the Lord of Israel hovered over them. What's happening? The glory of the Lord moves from the threshold of the temple now to the gate of the city. Jump over just one chapter to chapter 11, verse 22, end of chapter 11. 
Ezekiel writes one more thing. Then the cherubim lifted up their wings with the wheels beside them, and the glory of the Lord of the God of Israel hovered over them. Verse 23, the glory of the Lord went up from the midst of the city and stood over the mountain, which is east of the city. And the glory of the Lord was departing. It was departing from Israel. The presence, the blessing of God was leaving. The people had forgotten God. They were following their own hearts, their own desires, pursuing other gods. And the glory of God left. Soon afterwards, the Jewish people, as we know, were taken off into captivity. The Babylonian Empire came and sacked the city, destroyed the land, butchered tens of thousands of people and carted off others into captivity for the next 70 years. Would God's glory ever return? It had departed. Would God's glory ever be seen again? When that 70 years was completed, about 50,000 Jewish people uh, left um, their place of captivity and they were permitted to return to the land of their forefathers and under the leadership of Ezra and Nehemiah, Ezra the priest, Nehemiah the builder of the wall, they came back and, and tried to <clears throat> restore once the glory. Nehemiah builds the wall, Ezra, um, sets about to recapture a little bit of the glory of the place of worship for the people. It's then that they brought out the law, the first five books of Moses, the Torah. And they read about the glory of God. In the beginning, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth that declare his glory. He created man in his image. He displayed his, his character, his wonders. They read the stories of Exodus, of, of Moses' face shining. They read about the mountain shaking, the fire consuming on the mountain, of the glory of God. They, they read that, <clears throat> and they cried, and they wept, because the glory of God was gone. But if you read those five books carefully, there was hope. Deuteronomy chapter 18, and we won't take the time to turn there, but it was Moses who said, there's a prophet that's coming just like me. Someone is coming. There's going to be a deliverer. God is going to remember his promises to his people, and they are eternal promises, and there was hope. And Ezra and Nehemiah said, okay, enough of the crying. God's glory is going to come again. He's promised it. Let's celebrate. Let's party. Because God is going to be true to his word. And yet the book of Nehemiah, as he writes about this uh, in chapters 8 and chapters 9 and 10, but the last chapter, in fact, I think it's the last phrase of Nehemiah chapter 13, the last chapter of Nehemiah, is this hauntingly sober prayer of Nehemiah where he simply says, remember me, oh my God, for good. Remember. 
do not forget your promises. 600 years goes by. 600 years goes by. Would God's glory ever return? Of course, we read in John chapter 1 that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw His glory. Glory is of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. The glory had returned. He came, and it says, He dwelt among us. It's literally the word to tabernacle among us. The temple had returned, as it were. The sum total of, of the character of God was now manifested in this Jesus who had come to earth, the glory of God. And once again, God's compassion, his grace, his mercy, his sovereign uh, plans for the ages was being visibly lived out and manifested before their eyes. The glory of God had come to earth in human form, veiled in flesh, the Godhead seed. An amazing plan of God being unfolded. And um, that's not the end of the story. From beginning to end, of course, that's, it's just the beginning of the story. The prophet Habakkuk had written this many years before. The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In other words, there's a day coming, and other prophets wrote about this, there is a day coming when the very presence of God, the glory of God will be experienced and witnessed. The sum total of the heaviness and the weightiness of God will one day be displayed for all the nations to see, the nations of this world, and the glory of God will be witnessed and experienced like never before. One day the glory of God will be seen and it will cover the earth like the waters cover the sea. As the Jewish people read these passages of hope, they could celebrate the coming day of glory, the coming day when Jesus will reign supreme and he will sit on the throne of his father David and will rule in all his glory. But there's one more passage I want us to look at this morning. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. <clears throat> 2 Corinthians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul writes about um, the wonder of the gospel, of the good news of, of God's gift of righteousness to unworthy sinners. He says in verse 12, therefore, having such a hope, the hope of eternal life, the hope of the gospel, we use great boldness in our speech. And we're not like Moses, who used to put a veil over his face so that the sons of Israel would not look intently at the end of what was fading away. But their minds were hardened. For until this very day, at the reading of the Old Covenant, the same veil remains unlifted because it is removed, we could say it is only removed in Christ. But to this day, 
Whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their heart. But whenever a person turns to the Lord, that veil is taken away. Now, the Lord is a spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, we're being transformed into that same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. What is, what is Paul saying here? What is he suggesting? God's glory is being manifested in a new way. It's being manifested in the lives of his people. If you know Jesus as your Savior, what is true about you? Well, one thing that is true is that the moment we put our trust in Christ as our only way to heaven, the moment we stop relying on ourselves and our own religiosity and our own goodness and merits to get ourselves to heaven and fully put our trust in Christ and Him alone, in that moment of trust, the Bible says, God takes up residence in our life. This body becomes the temple of the Holy Spirit, the temple of the presence of God. You know Jesus as your personal Savior. I realize that might be hard to believe as you took a look at yourself this morning in the mirror, but take it on faith. You, if you know Jesus, have the glory of God residing within you, the very presence of God. He says um, later there in chapter 4, verse 7, we have this treasure in earthen vessels, so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. And even though, he says in verse 8, we're afflicted in every way, we're not crushed, perplexed, we're not despairing. Persecuted, yep, but not forsaken. Struck down, you got it. Not destroyed. Always caring about it in the body, the dying of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our body. For we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested now in our mortal flesh. So death works in us, but life works in you. And what Paul is simply saying is reaffirming this wonderful truth in this old cracked pot of an earthen vessel body is the glory of God. Now the world doesn't have it. Chapter 4 there earlier on, he says in verse 1, We've got this ministry as we've received mercy and we don't lose heart. We've renounced the things hidden because of shame, not walking in craftiness or adulterating the Word of God. But by the manifestation of truth, the manifestation of truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God, and even if our gospel, the good news of Jesus, is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case, what, what's the problem? The God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we do not preach ourselves, but we preach Christ Jesus as Lord, and ourselves as your bondservants for the sake of Christ. Then he says in verse 6, For God who said, light shall shine out of darkness, it's allusion to the creation account, the glory of God in the beginning, darkness, and he spoke light, and the glory of God was revealed. He's the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. 
folks, whether you feel like it or even want to believe it, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit if you know Jesus. And the glory of God resides within us to shine and be manifested to this world. Last night we had 835 cars go by in our Follow the Star event out here. Over 2,600 people came. I, I would assume many of them already have a relationship with Jesus and they were encouraged and reaffirmed in their faith as they heard once again the truthfulness of the story and the hope of Christmas. But always, always there are people who are driving through or gone to the battlefield. And for the first time, and we've gotten some emails already this morning, for the first time it dawns on them, God is more than a word. The glorious God came and he manifested himself. And they heard that story. And they got a little piece of the glory of God. But again, that's not where it ends. It doesn't end in a, a two-day event where people drive through and see a a, a, the story unfold. It continues in our lives. Because every time we walk about at work, at, at school, in, in our business, in our neighborhoods, we are to reflect the glory of God. Because it's there. It's the very presence of God is within us to be displayed so we can be transformed, he says in verse 18, from glory to glory as we behold in a mirror the glory of God. That is, as we come and, and we grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord, as we come and, and deepen our relationship with Him and our intimacy with Him, He continues to transform us from glory to glory. We become more and more like Jesus. And even in these earthen vessels, these old cracked pots, persecuted and hurt and burdened with all sorts of ills of, of, of a fallen world, the glory can exude from us and be manifested in the, into this world. The character of God lived out through our lives. Folks, it's time to party. It's time to celebrate. Not get all caught up in the things of this world for Pete's sake. Good night. So there's another Omicron. Huh. What's the next cron that's coming? Now, I don't want to minimize it, but my, folk, my goodness, folks, let's not get all concerned about something. There's going to be a coming economic collapse. Let's just face it. At some point, it's coming. Let's celebrate. If you know Jesus, and that's what the world needs to see, they don't need to see a bunch of Christians like they've been baptized in lemon juice, moping about, concerned about what's happening. If we know Jesus, we've got the glory of God the presence of God himself has inhabited this earthen cracked pot. And it's life-changing. It's life-changing, the presence of God. And people need to see that. They get a little bit of it as they travel this circuit tonight again. And they'll hear the story of the glory of God. But God's wonderful grand design is to take his glory that has been residing within us and as he transforms us from glory to glory, to share it, to celebrate it with joy and thanksgiving. We have a message. 
a message to share to this world. And it just begins with the wonder of the Word becoming flesh. A helpless babe, the glory of God coming to transform our life so that the life of Jesus would be manifested in His glory to a world that desperately needs it. So let's celebrate it. We of all people have hope because of the glory of God. Let's pray. Thank you, our Father, for this wonderful, incredible plan that would allow us undeserving sinners to be deposited within us your very presence. That we are the temple of the Holy Spirit through whom his wonderful manifestations of love and joy and peace and patience and all that fruit of the Spirit. In fact, the very character of God we can display as you work in us mightily. It's your plan, your desire to take broken people so that the power of your presence can be manifested and people can see the difference that is made because of you. Father, I pray that tonight as um, more thousands of people will come, that when they see it, that story unfold, what they will really see is the, the presence of Jesus and, and the uh, volunteers who are serving the joy on the faces of people directing traffic, waving, holding signs, and welcoming them. Cookies that are being passed out with the blessing of Jesus. And that it doesn't end there, Father. That out throughout our weeks, and really, Father, for as long as we have breath, uh, that they will see um, your love shine through. They'll see your character being manifested, even in tough times, even in the midst of persecution, even in the midst of heartache and sorrow. They'll see the greatness, the glory, the weightiness of you, our God. Even so, Lord Jesus, make it happen for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.